You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Good morning. Welcome. And welcome back to our traveling team. Even though not many of you are here this morning, um, we're grateful to have a church that is full of people who are willing to sacrifice and serve. We have been in the Psalms over the last several weeks, and today um, we're going to be going through Psalm 40, and then we're going to come to kind of a pause in this series. So I'm actually going to jump right in, and then um, we'll unpack it together. So if you want to join me in Psalm 40, um, I'll be reading from the Coleman Christian Standard Bible. I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for allowing us to come together this morning. Thank you for allowing us to make it through this week and make it here Thank you that we get to lay everything else aside that has happened to us and um, come together in community to know you more completely. Magnify yourself, Lord, and uh, make yourself known this morning. Amen. So let's get started. Psalm 40, thanksgiving and a cry for help. So some of yours may be titled a little bit differently, but this is really giving us the theme for the whole psalm and really the theme for our lives and our walks with Christ. We're kind of always going through this cycle of thanksgiving and cries for help and petition. So for the choir director, a Davidic psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from the desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. How happy is the man who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Lord, my God, you have done many things, your wonderful works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, see, I have come. It is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I delight to do your will, my God. Your instruction lives within me. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed, as you know, Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your, your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My sins have overtaken me. I am unable to see. There are more than, they are more than the hairs of my head, and my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to deliver me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who seek to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish to harm me be driven back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, aha, be horrified because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, the Lord is great. I am afflicted and needy. The Lord thinks of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. So first, I want to say that I often read to children, and so reading to adults is very different. It's hard not to um, put emphasis on certain words, so when I get to aha, aha, I really have to work hard not to make it very theatrical. So, um, but this is a Davidic psalm, and um, David wrote about half of the psalms in the Bible, if not more, um, and he really gives us this theme over and over and over again. And there's a lot of raw emotion. There's a lot of praise, even in anguish. And we see that he has a life that has 
familiarity with God. It's very vulnerable, it's very open, and um, he's coming to God regularly, whatever is happening. In this specific psalm, we have kind of three main themes. So there's the first um, section, which is verses 1 through 5, and that is the section of thanksgiving. Um, Then there's the second section, which is kind of in the middle, and it seems maybe a little bit out of place. It's actually um, prophetic, and it's messianic in nature. And then we go to the final section, which is um, 11 through 17, and that's a combination of that cry for help, that lament, and a petition. So we're going to start in the beginning where he asks for the Lord to um, come to him. He is reacting to something that has happened. We don't get a lot of context about what has happened, but he is, he is praising God for his deliverance for something that he has previously gone to God for. And he says that he waited on the Lord. So the word waiting here means waited, I waited. Okay, that seems pretty obvious. But it's a specific type of waiting. So often we wait in anxiousness or confusion or um, this desire to do. That's the kind of waiting that I do. It's not really waiting. It's more like trying to fix it on my own and then hoping something will eventually happen. Um, But David's waiting is confident. It's patient. It's restful. He is waiting with the understanding that the Lord is going to deliver him. It's not an if, it's a when, and he can really rest in that. So he waited, and that waiting paid off, and the Lord turned his face to him and heard his cry. Now, sorry, this mic is kind of making a funny sound. So this turning his face to him actually means he inclined to him. It's kind of like he stooped down to him. So I do this a lot when I work with kids. I kind of get on their level. I kind of squat down. I look in their eye, and I help them to see that what they're saying to me is important. And this is kind of the picture that we're getting with God. He's inclining his face to David. He's turning to him, and he's making David see, like, I hear you. I am here to deliver you. It's important. Then we see... He was brought up from a desolate pit out of muddy clay and set his feet on rock, making his steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So this pit here actually is more likely a cistern. This is the same verbiage that would have been used um, for Jeremiah when he was thrown into a cistern. And a cistern was this big pit that had been dug into the ground, but it was often bell-shaped. So it would have been wider on the bottom and kind of belled up into a narrow neck. So if you think about if you're dropped into that pit, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to climb out on your own. If you um, ever go rock climbing and you try to climb out on that incline like that, you're not going to be able to do it. And then these were often plastered with limestone, so they were slippery and difficult to get out of. So if you're in there, it's pretty desolate. Like You would probably feel like this is a pretty impossible situation to manage on your own unless you get help. And then you think about the bottom of that pit. If you're in a pit that normally holds water, it's probably muddy and mucky, maybe even foul. So if you've ever walked in mud and your foot gets stuck and your shoe stays, but your foot goes forward, that's kind of the picture here. So this is a very difficult situation. But... If you're rescued from it and you're placed on security, you would feel this desire to praise. So when you're in the situation, it's hard to imagine having any song in your mouth but desolation and anguish. But then when you're brought out of it, 
you feel this security, you feel this desire to praise, to put a new song in your mouth. So um, George Campbell Morgan, who was a Bible scholar, he said that the suffering servant always becomes the singing one. God's assurance that he's going to deliver him from this pit gives him the ability to have a new song in his mouth and this praise. This is also a really interesting parallel to Jesus's life when he was here um, on earth doing his salvation work. So he had a life that was a life of action, but it was also a life of patient waiting. So he was in this desolate pit. He was in this impossible situation that required him to look forward and praise and rely on the Lord and the assurance and knowing that the deliverance would come. And through that deliverance came this new song of salvation that we're still singing today. We're still singing the song of Jesus' salvation. And like David says, many will see and fear or revere the Lord and they'll come to him. So our trials bring testimony. Our trials are worthy parts of our walk. And in a lot of cases, that's somebody's only experience with Jesus' light, watching you walk through the trials in your life, seeing them come to fruition, seeing God's faithfulness. This might be somebody's only experience with the Lord. So our testimony has the power to reveal who God is to people who may never have that experience any other way. So let's move on. Sometimes in our own lives, we can't relate with a lot of the things that David is going through, right? Um, We're not necessarily fleeing for our lives. Maybe some of you have, but I haven't. We're not trying to keep our throne. Um, We're dealing with things that are maybe less intense. They feel intense to us, but they don't seem as intense as they are to David. So it's, it's hard to relate. But... Matthew Henry brings up a really interesting point here. Matthew Henry was a Bible scholar in the 1600s, and he says that often David is giving us some kind of context for what's going on for him. Maybe it's illness, maybe it's persecution, but here he doesn't do that. And that could indicate that the struggle that David is praising God for delivering him from was mental or internal in nature. And so for us, I feel like a lot of the time, that mental and internal struggle is some of the hardest pits for us to get out of. Those self-inflicted things that just continue to drag us down. It's sometimes easier to look out and say, oh no, it's them, it's their problem. It's a little bit harder to see the mire that we're in, in our own minds. In my life in particular, I'm in a pit of guilt because of all the shoulds I'm not doing. And I am definitely, definitely in a season of last fruits instead of first fruits. And it's challenging. It's challenging. My days are full. They're chaotic. I'm frustrated. I feel anything but holy. And I continue to try and struggle and try and struggle. And it doesn't feel like it's going to change. So I actually have a picture if you want to put it up. Let's see. So this is my life. I don't know if you can see it. This is my life after dark. Um, it's kind of challenging to see. That lump across me is actually my daughter. Um, I am holding my phone because this is the only chance that I get to do any research. Um, And I have headphones in, pillows are my desk, and I'm taking notes. Um, This is my season, and it's beautiful, and it's worthy, and I'll miss it when it's gone, but it's really challenging in the moment. And I still want to have my own life where I'm doing things that I feel are fruitful, but most of the time it seems very fruitless, right? And 
I know that your circumstances may be different. You may not look like this at night, or you may, but I am guessing that there are a lot of us who are still in some kind of pit, whether it's a pit of guilt or a pit of loneliness or a pit of anger or desolation or whatever it is. We can trust that God will be faithful to find us even in those pits. His light will shine there, even though it seems dark at the bottom. He will find us there. So moving on to um, verse 4. How happy is the man who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. How happy are we when we put our trust in the Lord? How happy are we when we don't turn to those who have pride in themselves and trust in themselves? Because that's fickle, it's finite, and we have something more substantial. How sad for the world, how crushing for the world when they don't have hope in Christ. And all the more reason for the power of our testimony to show them that light. Then we see verse um, 5 here. The Lord, my God, you have done many things, your wonderful works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. Think about that for a moment the creator of the universe. He created every single thing, has plans for you that are so wonderful and so numerous, we cannot even tell them all. It's going to take eternity for him to be able to do all of his wonderful works for you. You are that important to the creator of the universe. That's pretty awesome. That's an awesome experience to know that you're in that space with God and that he cares for you that much. Now we're going to be moving into the prophetic section of the psalm. So verses 6 through 10, roughly, and we're going to see how this applies to David, yes, but it also applies forward to the Messiah. So first we're going to talk about David. So it's talking about sacrifices, and really religiosity, right? So God doesn't want our sacrifices, our religiosity. He doesn't want us to go through the motions. He wants submitted and obedient hearts more than anything else. And David really does this. He works hard to try to delight in the Lord. He works hard to try to delight in his instructions, to follow his instructions. He does more than just bring his sacrifices to God, and he regularly brings his iniquities to him. So when he fails the transgressions, he comes to God with them. This part about your ears being open to listen, this can mean a couple of things. One of them is um, the ancient Israelite practice of um, boring your ear. So there's another translation that says digging your ear. So this is, it's outlined in Hebrews. A Hebrew slave in ancient Israel would have served his master for six years. On the seventh year, he would have gone free. But... If he loved his master and wanted to stay with him, if he wanted to keep his family, if he wanted to continue in this life, he would forsake his life, his freedom, and he would give it to his master in a lifetime commitment. This was permanent. And he would um, have this ritual performed where he would go in front of the Lord, he would take an awl, which is just like a piercing tool, and they would um, pierce the ear with an awl. Often it would be into a doorpost. And this is just a symbol of that commitment. So it wasn't flippant. 
This is what David does with the Lord. He forsakes his freedom and submits his life to his master because he loves him and wants to serve him. And this is also what Jesus does for us. He forsook his freedom, he forsook his godliness so that he could come to earth and be the servant of his master to delight in God's will and his instruction. This is also a picture of Jesus opening his ears to us as our mediator and our intercessor. So there's kind of two things going on here. Then we see, if we look forward, we're going to move there in just a minute into Hebrews. Paul actually uses this specific section of Psalm 40 to make a point very clear about the law and about sacrifices. So um, in Hebrews 10, verse 5, we're going to see that Paul actually directly quotes this here. So let's go over there. Before we get started, I want to make it clear. So what Paul has just talked about is how the law and sacrifices cannot permanently atone for our sins. They can't sanctify our nature. They were never meant to be the completion. They were meant to be a part of the process. And so when we join him, it's going to be at therefore. So what he's saying here is therefore, because of all of these things, we're going to use this part as a point. So let's listen. Therefore... As he was coming into the world, he said, you did not want sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I have come to do your will. So he's using Psalm 40 to show that the completion was in Christ's sacrifice, his, his willing sacrifice on the cross. That was the final completion. And he continues in saying, after he, meaning Jesus, says above, you did not want or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So Jesus is the completion. He completes the law and the necessity for the law and becomes a willing sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. And now we just need to believe in him and submit ourselves and our hearts to him. Let's pause for a minute and talk about sacrifices. So we think sacrifices are something we still need to do. So sacrifices then were these elaborate processes that we had to do to earn forgiveness for ourselves temporarily. How much are we still earning our forgiveness? How much are we still doing things because we think we need to to be worthy for God? Are we going to church just because we think it's what we have to do? Are we posting on social media to show our pious lives? Are we doing things without submitted hearts to our God? because we think it's what we have to do to be worthy for our God. But that's done. It was done and finished in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection. Okay, moving forward to this proclamation. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed, as you know, Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. So this is both about David and about the Messiah. And those proclamations are still changing lives and hearts today. They were speaking of things that they have seen, that they knew and experienced, They were speaking of the truth and the assurance of God. And it was such good news that they could not keep their mouths closed. 
And this part, this proclamation to the great assembly is still our commission today. Until all hearts are under the submittance of God, they still need to be proclaimed. These truths still need to be proclaimed. So this is not only an example for us, but also um, a celebration of those proclamations and not keeping your mouth closed. So transitioning into the final section of the psalm, verse um, 11, we're going to start seeing a tone change here. So before, it was very triumphant, and now we see more affliction. So here's that cycle, lament, victory, lament, victory. Here's the lament. Lord, do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. This is bold. He's coming to the Father boldly, giving him a very direct petition. Do not withhold your compassion from me. Is this the way that you often enter the throne room of God? It's not the way I do it. I do it kind of meek and almost as if I'm not supposed to be there. But Jesus, I mean, but David enters in like, hey, give me your compassion. I know you. I know your truth and your goodness. I know your love is constant. This is an example for us of what we're allowed to do and how we're allowed to enter the throne room. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My sins have overtaken me. I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my courage leaves me. Does anyone ever feel like that? I feel like that is my life all of the time. And it's comforting to know that even this courageous lion of a man felt overwhelmed by his transgressions. I often feel inadequate, especially when I read about Bible heroes and all the amazing things that they did and the adjectives that they use that no one's ever going to use for me, a woman after God's own heart. No, they're not going to say that. They're going to say a frustrated woman or a woman who is silly or whatever. I, you know, I don't know. You, you guys might have adjectives for me right now in your head, but they're probably not that I was a woman after God's own heart. But these types of insights give us the clue that these were just other messy human beings like us who had relationships with God, and those relationships with God transformed them, constantly renewing them to be people who we read about today, to inspire us, to inspire us. But they were just humans like us. Lord, be pleased to deliver me. Hurry to help me, Lord. So this was urgent. But it wasn't so urgent that he didn't first praise God and then confess his transgressions. That was first fruits for him. He came to God in all reality, knowing exactly who he was. He laid it before God, and then he asks for his petition. How wonderful it is for us to know that God's presence is a constant. That God's presence is available to us. It's a promise to us, even when we've closed our consciousness to it. Be pleased to deliver me. So David realized that his God was a God who delighted in rescuing him. Now, if you've read most of David's Psalms, a lot of them are him asking to be rescued. This is something that he did over and over and over again. And he doesn't come to God like, oh God, I'm sorry, it's me again. Here I am. I know I messed up again. Please help me. He comes to God and says, be pleased to rescue me because you are a God who delights in rescuing your children. 
You are a God who loves me, who cares for me, who wants me to come to you. David Guzik, who is a Bible commentator, recommends that we adopt this type of prayer in our own lives. And I think, what would happen to our posture and our experience with God if instead of coming to him and being like, God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I have to need you again, we were like, God, be pleased to deliver me. Be pleased to forgive me. Be pleased to love me, to guide me to give me wisdom. We would stop looking at God as if we were burdening him, and we would start looking at God as if he were our father, and a good one. Then finally, let those who seek, this is the petition, let those who seek to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be driven back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, aha, be horrified because of their shame. Is this how you feel ever? Are you honest enough to say it? Are you honest enough to talk to God about the things that make you suffer and ask for justice? What about the things that make your loved ones suffer? We think that it's wrong to ask God for this kind of justice. A lot of times we read David's Psalms and we're like, ooh, gosh, I can't believe he said that. But the thing is, he's not going out into the world and saying that to others. He's not going out into the world and trying to fix it himself or do something about it. He's going to, to God, who is justice, and saying, see what has happened to me. Do something about it because I know your righteousness. Because I know you won't let this stand. And... In our spiritual lives, this is something we can claim. We can claim Satan be driven back and humiliated because we see the privilege of Christ's completed work. We have that knowledge of the end. And so we can make these kinds of claims for justice because we know that deliverance will come. Again, it's not an if, it's a when. Finally, let all those who seek you, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, The Lord is great. I am afflicted and needy. The Lord thinks of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. So David is afflicted and needy. David the one who is the great king, who everybody talks about all the time and so courageous, and he slayed Goliath, and he did all these amazing things, was afflicted and needy. And God cared. He thinks of me. That's what he says. And he tells us to rejoice and be glad for those who love your salvation. Continually say, the Lord is great. Even in the midst of this turmoil, something so significant, there are people seeking his life. He can say, the Lord is great. He can separate his situation from his Savior. And he can say, the Lord is great. So, we see this constant struggle for him. This, again, coming to God with this lament, the petition, victory. Lament and petition and victory. And we also get to see this really beautiful relationship that God had. It was this open current with David. 
David allowed his self, his life, to flow freely between him and God, whether it was joy or sorrow or anger or anything in between. It was this relationship. And David was not afraid to be an active participant in his part of the relationship. He expected God's presence to be a part of his life. And he was very verbal when he thought it wasn't a part of his life. He would say things like, God, listen to me. God, why can't I hear you? God, where are you? God, have compassion on me. Because his expectation was that God was in a relationship with him. And God had a part to play in that relationship. And so did David. But I think for us, we have a lot of hang-ups. We don't have this type of relationship often with God because we're working really hard to cleanse ourselves first. If I wash myself clean, how can someone so stained enter into the presence of someone so holy? So let me do it. Let me get, keep washing. Let me keep doing what the Father of Lies says. Let me keep doing what the world says. I'm going to fix it. And if I just fix it, then I'll be ready. Then I'll be accepted. Then I'll be worthy. But God didn't put those barriers up for us because he knew we would never be able to break through them. And David realized that the messiness of life is the abiding in Christ. The messiness of life is the walk. The walk is not preparing ourselves. I feel like that's so, the thing that we get so caught up in. That's the thing I get caught up in all the time. I'm so guilty of this. Like, okay, God, this is my walk today. I'm going to try really, really hard. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be whatever it is that I think I need to be to be a good Christian. I'm going to do it really, really hard. And then at the end of the day, I'm really, really discouraged and frustrated because I didn't do it. And what does that mean for me? I must not be a Christian. I must not be saved. I must not, I must not, I must not. But that whole time, all those mistakes all day long, all the things that were hard, that was the opportunity for me to walk with God. That was what David did so well. And Christ continues to further this example to us of what's available by showing us what communion with God really does look like. It is that constant coming to him, whether it's blessing your food before you eat or the Garden of Gethsemane. He showed us that that constant prayer, that constant interaction, that constant coming to him, whether it was just this quick moment of whispering his name or this long and sorrowful prayer, So we have to remember what abiding really looks like. The rescuing is the walking with God. And that, through that, that's how we're sanctified. That's how we're cleansed. We're constantly coming into his presence. We can't help but be changed. If we're constantly coming into his presence, we're learning what he is doing for us, and we're learning about his trustworthiness. And that's what we do in normal relationships, right? Because we're humans. He's God. He's always trustworthy, but we don't know that because we're humans. And so, like, in a normal relationship, like in a marriage, right, I learn to trust my husband because I've come to him over and over and over again, and he's been there for me most of the time. 
And that's how I learn what trust looks like. And the same thing with God. I come to him over and over and over again, and in the coming to him, he shows me how trustworthy he is, he sanctifies and cleanses me, and I walk with him. He rescues me. He delights in rescuing me. How beautiful that we have a God. You have a God who delights in rescuing you. Not only that, he wants you to. He's expecting you to come. He's not surprised. He's not burdened by it. He's not like, oh, great, again, here she comes. He's like, oh, yeah, of course, you didn't come to me again. I, like, I knew all these things were going to happen today. I'm surprised you're surprised. <laughs> really? I mean, you know, sometimes I'm surprised I'm surprised too. So that's it. This is our walk. This is our opportunity. So this week... As you go through your Christian life, remember, be pleased, O oh God, to rescue me. Be pleased, O oh God, to teach me. Be pleased, O oh God, to sanctify me. Your grace is sufficient for even this. Be pleased. Oh God, because you love me. So as the band comes back up, I'll pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is pleased to rescue us, who is pleased to sanctify us. We thank you that your expectation is not for us to come to you complete and ready, that your expectation is for us to be who we already are, you're not surprised. Give us the courage this week to come to you in our rawness, our vulnerabilities, our iniquities like David did. Give us the courage to boldly proclaim your pleasure in our need to be rescued. Thank you for being a God who delights in that process and teach us that that process is the relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.